Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week, I bring you stories that will inspire you, educate you, and give you hope. I want to thank my studio sponsor, The Motivated Mind Group, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler. Today, my guest is Marshall Jones. He grew up living in a time where it was a racial turbulent in Georgia for a short period of time. His story, hmm, he was raised by his family's friends because he was given up and we'll let him explain why because where he is today, he is a very successful way he does and he's traveled the world that he never thought he would as a kid. Please help me welcome my guest today, Marshall Jones. Welcome, Marshall. Hello there, hello. Thank you so much for taking the time to have me on the show. I, I really appreciate this. Um, you know, before we jump into it, a couple of things. One, um, although yes, it was a, a racially turbulent time period. I, I was born in the late 60s, so I grew up in the 70s in Georgia, um, North Georgia, right at the corner where Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia connect. Um, we did have the Klan that was there. We did have, you know, some not so friendly areas that one could go to. But during this time period, it wasn't as, um, you know, if you look at social media today, you see this racial war that's going on in our country and everybody's just fighting and yelling and screaming things back and forth with folks. It wasn't like that. Um, we just kind of knew, don't go over here or don't say the wrong thing to this person. Just, you know, mind your P's and Q's and everything would be okay. Um, so it wasn't as bad as it sounds. And in terms of the family members, my, uh, my mom, unfortunately, was going through a, uh, a, a, a not so good marriage. I think nobody ever says, let me tell you about my great divorce. Well, hers is, is definitely not one that people are going to write them about. <laughs> and given that she had four kids, she had to make a, a hard choice as to whom to let some friends of the family help raise because she just couldn't do it all on her own. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, things happen for a reason. And I was, uh, by the grace of God, um, raised by some friends of the family who were born in the late 1800s. And, you know, my story is a little different than that of my brothers and sisters. Wait a minute. So with that said, you said 1800s. Yeah, 1899 and 1906 to be exact. Wow, so much older. Yeah. Oh yeah, so they were they were pretty much great grandparents at the time of getting me as a newborn. Okay, so let's back Can up. You imagine? Yes. No, no, I can't imagine because I'm thinking <laughs> at that age you're supposed to be enjoying your silver years, your older years, your retirement years. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that took place, but. I do commend them, which I'm sure they've passed on since, that they actually took on a responsibility of someone such as yourself. But let's back up for a second. How did that even sure. come about that? How many siblings did you have, you say? So there's four of us. Um, I have two brothers and a sister. Um, at the time of my mom and dad having a, uh, you know, another one of those heated discussions that couples have on their way out the door, mm -hmm. um, she decided to grab the, the kids and get into the station wagon and, and gave, went to my what is my great grandmother's home her grandmother's home and she was in her late 70s at this time as well so here i am as a newborn who was you know sick you've got three other kids that are running around the house and if you've ever had any older relatives especially from the south they would talk to you about their blood pressure and their nerves and how they need quiet and four kids is not a recipe for quiet for anybody past 65. and so my uh mom needed to go to work and so she had to find somebody to help her watch one of these kids, right? The older two were, were able to do what they could, but you know, I was still a baby. And so she had friends of the family who did not have kids of their own who offered to help 
her until she got on her feet, as one may say. And one day became one week, became one month, became one year. And when she attempted to come and get me as a, as a child, I didn't know who she was and didn't want to go. I wanted to stay in this house. And so it just became, well, it works right now. Let's deal with it later. And later uh, became when I was seven years old, I came home from school and my, uh, my real mom and grandmother and brothers and sisters were all in the living room when I came home. And my, what I thought were my parents were telling me, this is actually your real mom and brothers and sisters, and this is your real family. You're adopted, and we've been, you know, the guardians of you for this time period. But we want to make sure that you all know each other because we've gotten older. And if something were to happen to us, what a shame it would be if you didn't know who these people were. So from seven to you know now, I split time between the two households uh, growing up. So I kind of, you know, I mean, it kind of worked out. I had a had a little bit of a blessing there having two two households. Well, and living in a home that you were probably the only child, and now you've learned that you have siblings, you have a family, but I'm sure that was still a shock to have to adapt to something that you did not know until now, and then possibly start all over with, what do you do now? These people are your real parents, yeah. and these other individuals raised you as they were your parents. Correct. How? Yeah, it was definitely different. I, uh, go ahead. No, no, it was different. Tell me how. I was just gonna say it was definitely different because you know here you are you know I'm seven right my what I know is my mom and dad are in their late seventies early eighties and they don't read or write so I'm helping you know balance the checkbook and do the grocery list and things as a child and now I find out I actually have brothers and sisters so absolutely elated at at having siblings still very happy and proud to be able to have them um, not gonna lie it was a little bit of a a smack in the face to find out that I had a mom and this is what happened. And it took me a couple of years to work through that to figure out how uh, things came to be to understand her position. Um, you know, couldn't have been easy for her. And I and I, I give her the utmost respect now looking back in the rearview mirror what she had to go through to get there. But man, it couldn't have been easy. Couldn't have been easy. And you're successful today. We've already talked off camera about the amazing places you have got to experience and where you're going in a in a few days, <laughs> which is great. But you talked about being raised by individuals who couldn't read or write, but they made sure you went to school. Absolutely, absolutely. Tell I was told on a regular basis how, um, you know, we all know American history, there were slaves in this country, right? <laughs> um, I was told on a regular basis that there were slaves and people who died for me to have the right to go to school. And I owe it to them to take full advantage of any opportunity that was put in front of me. So, I, you know, getting a C or D wasn't an option, right? That was a failure to the people who died for me to be able to go to school. Not that there was this increasing amount of pressure on me that, you know, you couldn't have a bad day, but it was really seen as a blessing and an opportunity for me to you know, say yes to take a trip or to, to take a class to learn how to play chess or whatever it may have been. Um, so um, to me, it was uh, more of looking at it as whether the sky limit or the limits the sky, right? It was just a, a better opportunity. Oh, I love that you say that because we hear, oh, the sky's the limit. And then you just talked about, and I have a friend of mine who is very active. She's one of the city council women here in Chandler. And she comes from a country where education was hard to go and get. They had to pay or they didn't have the textbooks and they didn't have the criteria and I've actually interviewed a few organizations that are over there or people that have come from over there and started a foundation here for education because it was so important in their childhood but you were here right in the United States where a lot of people think that oh America's of the free and of this and of that well of course we are we're spoiled 
we, we're unappreciative a lot of the time too. And here, um, it happens right in our backyard. We just don't know it. And you had two things against you. You lived in a time frame where, and, and I, when you said this in the very beginning, I cringed because I'm a non-judgmental individual and I would hate to think that someone has to worry about following rules or knowing where not to go or not what to do. And you had to live that as a black male. And you also had two parents who didn't have an education, but you turned out pretty well. Yeah, I've been very fortunate, yeah. It was, um know, not uncommon to have the police follow you home. Um, I remember going in a store and, and having cookies that I brought from home with me and getting pulled over by the police at like 12 years old because they said I stole the cookies. I, uh, I went to a private college in Georgia, had a, had a scholarship to a private college, and I was going to have dinner with the uh, president of the university and a group of uh, faculty and so forth. And on my way there, much like most college students, I'm out of gas. So I stopped to get gas at a gas station. And at this time period, you know, you turn the pump on, you pump, you go in and you pay. Well, they wouldn't turn the pump on for me. Oh. I'm running late. So I put the back on. I go to the next gas station across the street. I fill up and I go to my meeting. Well, here I am driving down Broad Street in, uh, in Rome, Georgia, and I get pulled over by two police cruisers and a truck. They said I stole gas from the gas station. So they carted me back to the gas station to look at the cameras to see because they, you know, anyway, I mean, stuff happened i had a uh, a guy at the college who i went out on a date with this young lady and while i was out someone broke into a room on her floor so they said i was an accomplice i had basically distracted the folks by taking this girl out so that the it, just crazy stuff happened it's you know i don't want to say it's part of being black in america because that takes a negative attitude toward it but it's one of those things where you just kind of you get used to it and you have a choice you can take the path to the right you can take the path to the left and I've, I've tried to take the path to the right to be a beacon of, of, of something else to show that, hey, not all of us are drawn the same way. You know, um, it's worked out in some, some cases. You know, when I was a kid, I was always told by my parents um, a lot of things, but this one in particular was, you can't save the world, Christine. No, I kind of am one person. That, <laughs> right. And, and as much as we have a lot of people like myself and yourself and others that want to see an end to a lot of different things, whether it's an illness or racial stuff, and now we've got new stuff, and you're always gonna have hate, but you're always, like you said, you're always gonna have the choice on which direction you wanna take that. And how are you yeah. gonna be able to help someone else versus give them, give them a tool or let them be a victim of something? Both of them have a consequence or reward to it, depending on who their uh, audience of people is. And, um, I would love to see the day where we don't judge one another, but I know that's never going to happen. So we are the ones that get to educate people. Um, even if they don't go to a school system to be educated, there are people that are book smart, not me, and there are people that are street smart, that's me. And I love to learn different things through different people and I am paying attention all the time because I feel that it makes me a better person so I can understand how to or not to respond to somebody's situation because I don't know what's going on behind those. Um, their heart. Yeah, uh, I agree. If you look at philosophy, you have a Cicero, one of the greatest philosophers, he said that um, one of the greatest delusion of man is that self-advancement is made through the disadvancement of others. And if you think about that statement, if I make you look bad, I look good. And it sets up all the isms that we have, whether it's racism, sexism, placism, ageism, mm -hmm. somebody has to be able to put you in a box so they can judge themselves against mm -hmm. you. 
And I love what you said. You have a choice. You can react or you can respond. If you were to go to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, Christine, I gave you some medicine. I need you to come talk to me. Your body's reacting to it. You know right off the bat it's a negative. Mm-hmm. Versus if they call and say, hey, Christine, I gave you some medicine. I'd like you to come talk to me. Your body's responding to it. You know it's positive. So in life, you have a choice. You can react or you can respond. Mm-hmm. I learned that, and I think I found peace in me. I didn't even know I was going to have or need um, with how to deal with people or not deal with people, right? Because we don't really have to deal with certain people. We can go through life. We can avoid them. But as I've seen it, too, what you resist is going to continue to persist. So you have to just figure it out now. <laughs> I don't yeah. care what it is. Yeah, it's a lesson you're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I agree. So there's a couple of things here. Because you were referred to me by a young lady that I have yet to physically meet either. That's what I love about these referrals when people say, hey, I've got a story <laughs> that's going to help someone else. She writes, she's a ghostwriter, Shireen uh, Rivera. And that is how I met you. And she was a ghostwriter for you. Tell me more about mm-hmm. what it is that she did for you and why you did it. Sure. So um, funny, she actually was a ghostwriter for a friend of mine. Um, you know, my dad uh, never really talked, which is probably why I talk too much. But <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm getting older, I uh, you know, felt like I wanted to leave something for my kids. And so I had been jotting notes and things over the years of things I wanted to somehow impart upon them, call it a manuscript, call it you know, just lessons for life. And she helped me put all of those items into digestible pieces for my kids. Um, I wanted to give them something because, you know, after you're gone, they always say, oh, man, my dad used to say this or my mom would say that. Well, I wanted to give them something that actually gave them those items so that they would have it. And uh, Shireen helped me put all that uh, to, to pen and paper so that I have something there as a legacy for them. The original intent was just something to hand my kids. And um, I had a couple of my clients read over some of the stories that were there. And they, of course, not of course, but they liked it and said it was better than just a coaster for their drink and thought that I should, you know, put it into a book and, and do something. So I put it on Amazon and, you know, we've sold, you know, almost a thousand copies, which is which is really humbling to to see that people want to actually, you know, hear these stories and, and listen to some things. But um been through a lot. You know, been through a lot through, you know, the grace of God. I've come out on top and, and you know, I want to make sure my kids can do the same, like any you, parent would. You know, Marshall, everyone it's a walking book. We are born, I think you agree, with nothing in us. And then we die with so much in us, whatever that may be, however we want it to, to take it in, um, whether it's a value, a lesson, experience, however the person wants to identify it. We don't get to decide that on our last breath. Hopefully we'll have a, an understanding of what life is all about on that last breath that we uh, exhale. With Shireen, she has a gift of not knowing anyone, and she's doing the same thing that I'm doing, only she does it in a book form, and that's sharing your mm-hmm. story, where a lot of people don't think they either have a story, which everyone does, just some is more traumatic, um, more memorable, more life-changing than others, um, but what she does is she puts it in a form that if you didn't have a voice, but you told her what you needed, she found a way to connect with you, which I think a lot of people have disconnected um, because yeah. of technology and the differences that have divided us in the last few years. And I think this brings it full circle to say we still have books that we can pick mm-hmm. up and read and someone can say, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. And then that starts a healing for someone as it is, is going to do as your legacy for your kids, which was your first intention. So it's got two great qualities. Good point. 
That's how I see it. Um, yeah. Now, moving forward, you did get a great education because you have a fabulous job that you get to see the world. But you've also met some interesting people. Would you like to share some of these people that you've uh, got the privilege of meeting through your journey of life? Like the Dalai Lama? To, <laughs> to share some of these stories would, would seem bragging. And just in the course of working in hospitality, which is my job, I help facilitate you know, people coming together and, and, and running this country. You know, I, um, I've been fortunate enough to be in the room with, as you said, the, the Dalai Lama, um, almost every president, uh, back to Jimmy Carter, um, several heads of state, even, uh, even a few kings and queens from around the world. Um, yeah, been very lucky. Can I tell you that when I say that, and, I, and I've heard it before, you actually said it, you know, it's not about bragging. Yes, it is, because you know why. <laughs> <laughs> because they it, were regular it's, it's really not they, well I see it that it is because I'm seeing my own work become something that people are wanting to know more about who I am when I'm just doing what I love to do but I have something that other people are wanting to know more about which gives me a legacy in its own but I'm a regular yeah. person too and these are regular people they're just in public view and some of them have a message that people really want for healing or a connection. And so when I say that, yes, it is important because you've gotten to meet people that other would just hope to or dream about or just follow on YouTube or however they can to get whatever that fill is that they're feeling. So yeah, you can yeah. brag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I'll be letting everyone know I met you and Shireen after this. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope to one day meet her as well because she has a gift that she's um, definitely doing that. I don't know that I could put it into words. Um, what other things would you like to share that I haven't asked? Because it's not my journey. I only just have questions of my own that maybe I don't know how to reach out to other people that would say, hey, I had this question. What would you be able to give based on where you came from and where you're at today? Sure. Um, I can think of uh, a couple of things that I that I try to tell my, my youngest right now. I have a 23, 22 and a 16 year old. 16 year old is obviously still at home. And so as I'm talking with her, we have discussions around um, the power of your mind. Um, a lot of the, the and, I, and I teach at um, San Jose State, I'm an adjunct professor there and I volunteered for a couple of things. I also coached a high school track team last year and I find a lot of our youth today just focus on what they can't do. And it's almost like an episode out of uh, Star Wars where Yoda's talking to Luke Skywalker. It's like, that's why you can't do it. You keep saying what you can't do instead of what you can. You never look oh, at the possibility. Yeah. And um, it reminds me of a story I was in um, sophomore year, excuse me, freshman year going to sophomore year in high school. And I was looking at the paperwork in terms of uh, thinking about going to college and what classes you want to start taking to be prepped and ready for college. And I'll, I'll never forget, I had this teacher that came over and she looks and she goes, you know, what are you looking at there? And I told her, this is the advanced uh, technical preparatory uh, coursework for college. I'm thinking about computer programming and what have you. And she says, no, she takes it out of my hand and she says, you're black. You, you, you're never going to be able to do that. You need to take this. This is a vocational school. You guys are much better with your hands. This is what you should focus on. And, and I owe that teacher a huge thank you because from that moment on, I was a straight A student. You just told me I couldn't do it. I wasn't smart enough to do it, and and I didn't deserve it. Oh my God, I um, I, I had a test once in physics, and um, the majority of the class failed the test, 
and I scored 100. So when the curve was given to get everybody to a C, I had like 120 on the test. They said there was no way you had to have cheated because there was only you know, five black kids in the school, right? So they made me take the test again in front of the teacher, the principal, and the assistant principal. So here I am in a room, just me, taking this test again, and I scored higher. So I was so pissed they were telling me I couldn't do it. So wow. the reason why I tell this story is that um, it motivated me to do better because since they didn't believe in me, I had to believe in myself. And that ignited something in me that I still have to this day, that if there's something that you, you know, don't think I can do, hold on, we're going to figure it out. And my youngest has that. She, uh, she wanted to play piano. She was seven. She wanted to play piano. And we found this great teacher in the local community and we brought her in so she could, you know, show her a few things. And she says to my daughter, she's too old. There's no way she's going to be able to learn. And um, she says, why do you want to learn to play piano? And my daughter shows her a video on YouTube. It was this Beethoven piece that she wanted to play. And she goes, this is why I want to play. She goes, you'll never be able to play that. Okay. So she showed her a couple of scales, told her to go home and practice and come back in a week and we'll see how you do. So she comes back in a week. And so Maya plays the scales. And then the teacher goes, okay, now what was that piece that you want to learn? And she goes, oh, and she played it. In a week, she learned it on YouTube and she played it. And then the teacher was just taken back and she says she must learn it. So she dropped her fee. She would drive to our house to, to pick her up to teach her. She was like, oh my God, what a gift. And I saw this in her at seven years old and she's done so many more things uh, since then, but she has that same fight. And I want to, I want her to harness that fight to help her because not everybody is going to believe in you. You're not going to have your own cheering squad of people saying, oh my God, go, go, go. I want you to do well. Sometimes it's just you. And that's all you need. And that's totally uh, what I want to I totally understand that statement. Totally understand the statement. And good for her. Good for you. And, um, you know, they say there's power in words. That doesn't always, yes. have, to be, doesn't always have to be negative. Yeah. It can, I had a lady tell me that uh, when I had the idea of, of doing what I'm doing right now, which I've been doing for a couple of years now, and I've now landed in a studio, that those people believed in my mission that told me back then, you should be doing something else. And so I looked at her and I said, like what? <laughs> <laughs> and that was another drive that says, she doesn't know what she thinks I should be doing and I don't know why she said that, but um, I'm glad that I continue to follow my heart, my passion and what my gift is that I was given and that was um, the gift of gab <laughs> to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think so many things that people do in life, and again, this is my opinion, not necessarily um, those of MMG Studios or Prestige Global Meeting Source, um, they do out of fear, either fear of failure or fear of success. And I think most people are afraid to succeed because they don't know what to do. What if I make it, right? And when people try to talk you out of something, it's not because they don't think you can do it. Sometimes they're just afraid. And they're talking with you. They're speaking with you from, from their inner fear. And I, I think that's the one thing all these years of being around I've learned the most is that most people are just afraid. They are. Doesn't and make them bad. No. They're just afraid. And I really don't even know where that learning comes from. It has to come again from our childhood, depending on how we were raised. Or society finds a way to beat us down because there's so many people that don't follow the dreams or they're envious that someone else is. So rather than, and you see people all the time living uh, vicariously, which I think is a compliment, um, as long as it's not in a negative uh, derogatory way where people are like, oh, who do you think you are? And I'm thinking, 
I'm me. <laughs> I'm doing all that I know, you know, being the difference in the light and love that is needed and the gift that was given to me to ask people questions so that someone else could see that they're not alone in their travels and that no one else probably could have given them that information if I didn't do what I do. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you come up with a crazy idea, most people laugh at you. And then when you start doing your crazy idea and you start getting some success, they begin to hate you. And then after you really get success, they love you and they want to meet you. Yes. yes. <laughs> You're like, you could have walked with me. <laughs> you know, we wasted a lot of time, you know. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if you started having um, success parties, right? Um, if someone comes up with an idea, they want to launch a business. Imagine if people in the community or your friend group just got together to help you launch your idea as opposed to tearing it down. Because, you know, you break up with somebody, everybody runs over to offer support. Oh, here's some wine. Here's this. Oh, you know, he or she wasn't good for you. Let's, you know, drink away our tears. What if they showed up to actually help you get your business going or get your idea off the ground? Wouldn't it be amazing? Absolutely. Or even relationships where people think they have the answer they think you should do, but they've never walked that themselves. So, yes, yeah. I totally understand. Oh, I love it. I was actually having that thought earlier today about something. So I feel like what you just said was a confirmation of what my prayers were to, you know, the voice um, that's in my heart, but um, my power, higher power, too. So I have one I final qu question for you. Yes, ma'am. It's not related to being... Uh, it's not related to anything in particular except you. Um, I don't know if that made sense. I don't know what I just said, but we're going to go with this. Um, if I only had one question to ask an individual to get an idea about who they might be, it would be this question. What message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey of life? That's a great question. I always ask, what's the one question that you're never asked that you wish someone would ask you? So that's a, that's a great question. I'm going to add that one in my, in my thing. Um, you know, if you were to walk into a room and the room was warm or cold, you would look at a thermometer to see what the temperature is. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Okay, if you were to go in that same room and go, gosh, this room is hot or this room is cold, you would adjust your thermostat to change the temperature in the room, correct? Correct. So I challenge people in life to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Ooh. Most people walk into a room and they take from the temperature in the room. They become what the room is. So if the room's hot, they become hot. If it's cold, they become cold. They become followers of the room. Instead, walk into a room and set the temperature. Be the thermostat. That would be the one message I would leave folks. Wow. I wasn't expecting that answer. Be the thermostat, not the thermometer. I'm going to use yeah. that. And I, I like to walk into a room, not to own it, but to own myself and, and always be yes. welcoming to meet people. So maybe I am that thermostat versus yeah. the thermometer. It's just a different way. Yeah, oh, you I couldn't love do that. what you do without doing that. But yes, that would be my message. Mm -mm. Wow, thank you. And thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, before Hopefully we- Hopefully we'll get to meet in person. You never know, and I, I, I always put it out there that if it's meant to be, it's just a matter of when, right? Absolutely. Um, I do want to know, where can we find your book, since I wasn't aware of that prior to this? Um, it, it is on Amazon. It, it, like I said, it makes a great coaster for your drinks. You can set your Yeti on it. You know, it's a real <laughs> good thing. But it's, it's called My House to Paint, and um, it actually 
is, is kind of personal to me in that the, uh, the, the man that adopted me or raised me, um, I ran track. And I was pretty good at track, and um, I needed some new shoes because the ones that I was wearing had holes in them and so forth. And at 80-something years old, he was climbing on top of a house to paint a house in Georgia, sun that's, you know, 100-something degrees. And um, at the end of it, the guy gave him 50 bucks for the shoes, and I'm going, this should be, you know, two, $300, 50 bucks, I don't understand. And he gave me this look, and I think I told you earlier, kids were supposed to be seen and not heard then. So when he looked at me, I knew what that meant. So I walked alongside him, and then about half a mile down the road, he handed me the $50, and he said, you needed new shoes that were $46. So with tax, this will cover it. And so he painted that house to satisfy one of my wants. And so to me, my book, My House to Paint, is about the things that I've done as a parent to make sure I take care of my kids, and hopefully that um, gives them some motivation and drive for, for their lives later on. I knew about the book, but I didn't know about the title, and I did def definitely did not know the meaning behind it. And again, everyone has a, has a book within them, um, and there's a reason why we are who we are, and you just inspired me on a lot of different levels, and the name of the book, Someone Else Inspired You, so that's even better. I want to thank my studio sponsor, The Motivated Mind Group, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler. If you have a story you want to share, know someone who has a story that would help someone else along their journey. Please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. And if you'd like to be a studio sponsor or a sponsor, please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well and you take care.